Hey, spoiler alert, this is a podcast where we talk about movies, so we'll be talking about movies. If you saw the title of the podcast and thought, huh, I haven't seen that movie, well, tough luck. Enjoy! Hunter? Yeah? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty alright. Wow, that was the most accurate portrayal of my week. Except, eh, maybe take out the pretty. It's been an alright week. I'm gonna have to buy, probably buy a new phone for who knows why. I don't yeah. know, I don't know what happened. That's unfortunate. God. Phones are so expensive. Yeah. They really are. My trick is to have one phone for as long as possible and then get mm, maybe two generations of the iPhone behind for $300. Yes, that is the idea, but I'd have to have $300. <laughs> but really, just for perspective, I had an iPhone 5S until last year. And I got an iPhone 10. It felt it felt great to upgrade, didn't it? I think I was glad to have cuz my phone just did not have service i don't know what happened with it i couldn't get any texts or calls unless i was in wi-fi so i was glad to be able to communicate with people again Mm -hmm. but i think for the most part my family and friends were more glad that i upgraded than i was because i was fine with it you like not having to deal with people for whenever you didn't have internet well no it's just that (laughs) i didn't have a problem with having an iphone 5 yes i don't have a problem with having an android everybody's more bothered about it than i am but whenever it does crap like this, look at me self-censoring, saving Michael time. <laughs> um, it it does make iPhones more attractive because I never hear barely anything. They got all of their battery stuff figured out like after the six or seven. Yeah. Before then, iPhone batteries were horrible. But like with the iPhone five S, yeah, and I had to charge it three times a day. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that's a part of battery size that they could fit in the phone. Yeah, and battery life. And, like, just the quality of the battery. Because, like, people would be like, yeah, my phone was on 30% and it went, died. Yeah. Oh, no, my phone would be on 30% and die. Or it would be on 1% and last three hours. We love that. Consistency. Consistently inconsistent. It was just making up for the when it died on the 30%. True. It, it was like, hey, buddy... I got it in me this time. I promise. Sometimes I would plug in my phone and it would die. <laughs> It'd be on like 14%. I was like, I should probably charge this. Plug it in. Gone. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, boy. So, this week's movie, Hillbilly Elegy. Hunter, you went in this last week. You said, what did you say last week? I said that I had heard it was mostly bad. And how did it live up to your expectations? It was not bad. Amazing. <laughs> uh, me. I don't see. I mean, I don't think it was great, but I enjoyed it. I'd watch it again. Okay. Okay. So it's it's more than a five. Yeah, it's a six. Okay. It's a six on your scale. My scale, I'd probably give it... Hmm... Seven and a half? Hmm. Seven and a half? Eight? I'd probably want to watch this 
more than I would Midsummer. So I feel like an eight. Really? It's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. I think objectively it was a really good movie. I just didn't really connect with the memoir genre kind yeah. of of it. Mm-hmm. I. It was a very good movie. True. Just not my exact taste. So you're not like a memoir movie fan? Eh. I like Benjamin Button. That was long, though. I've never watched that movie. Well, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Is that who you're named after? No. <laughs> no, I was going to joke that it's next week's movie. Oh. But it's not. Or is it? I don't know. I never go out and, like, actively. Well, it's a pandemic. You shouldn't I be never... going out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This joke is very seasonal, and if the vaccines work without giving us full body twitches forever, then <laughs> then uh, I don't believe they're going to give us full body twitches. That was just a joke. Um, then that's going to be a very seasoned joke. People listening to this podcast, like, like history wrote on for dynamic banter. I hope and pray that joke does not age well. I hope so, too, because, God, I want to actively go out, rant over. So, I never actively go out and, like, seek to watch a memoir film. Like, reading memoirs, okay, I appreciate it, but this movie, I don't know why, it just really struck a chord. I feel like I related to a lot of these characters and their situations, and it reminded me... Maybe not a lot of my family all the time because, like, I I grew up in a pretty pretty nice household. I I want to go ahead and get the specs out of the way because I have a point I want to bring up. Okay. Uh, Hillbillyology, based on the memoir by J. D. Vance, who is the main character in the movie, directed by Ron Howard, starring Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Music by Hans Zimmer and David Fleming. I was surprised by that. <laughs> I. Josh and I were watching the movie, and immediately we were like, this sounds like Far Cry 5 right here. And just something in the back of my head, I was like, what if Hans Zimmer did this movie? And then it's like on the screen, and we're like, wait, what the heck? But anyway, I want to get this out of the way. You were talking about, kind of felt like family. Yeah. The reason I heard this movie was so bad was that people were saying it was stereotyping people from Kentucky, as well as hillbilly culture. Mm Mm-hmm. I was just watching this movie the whole time, and I was like, some of these scenes made me nostalgic. Like, this is not... That was not over-stereotyping, in my own personal opinion. One, it was a memoir, so it was somebody's own history. And two, I have family reunions like that. I I remember going to my great-grandfather's house on Sundays. We'd all just be there. All my aunts and uncles. My grandma's house looked like some of the houses in there. Yeah. I thought it was pretty accurate. Yeah, I agree. Um, just the accents by all of the actors. None of them were overdone. They, said, well, they didn't talk like the hills. Syrup. <laughs> Syrup. That, Syrup. That was so funny to me. Because that's so true. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he got hell in Yale yeah. for having that kind of an accent. And, like, people who say Warsh. Oh, my dad. Just I, George Washington, washing machine. Yeah, it's not just the word wash. I, there was a man at my church who was going to cook something for dinner, and he said, I need to go out and get me some squash. And I said, <laughs> excuse me? 
Uh, see, I feel like me and you are really disconnected from, like, that aspect. Like, both of us are from Kentucky. But I feel like both of us do a good job of not sounding like we come from Kentucky because we both acted and sang and choir. And that's about pronunciation of vowels and words correctly. And you have to stick in with everybody else. Like, there were people in my choir that still had the, like, southern twang to their voice. And I just don't know how they didn't get rid of it over time. Dude, I knew people with country accents so thick, all his friends thought it was fake. Oh my god. But I will say, if I get super tired, or sometimes even angry, I'll slip into a little little country accent. Country accent. Are you tired, Hunter? It is past my bedtime. It is past his bedtime. But we... We march on. We stayed up really late last night. Um, that was a trip. That was a great time. Yeah. I had such a great time. Wow. I definitely feel, like, a connection to this movie because, like, I was raised on being proud of where I'm from, and um, I definitely stand by that. I love my family and everything my dad taught me growing up, it always holds a special place in my heart. Glenn Close playing his memo. Really, I never had any grandparents like that, but that is definitely, like, esque how my dad would, like, talk to me. If I'm screwing up, he tells me Mm -hmm. in no uncertain terms. And to really get it through my head, whenever he, like, threw that graphing calculator out, oh, I could tell... I, like, I know that if I did that... It's over. I, I'd have a blistered behind. You're walking home. I'm I'm walking home. Oh, it's definitely, like, something I related to. And I'm sure, like, I made my dad watch this movie as well. And I'm sure he'd relate to it with how his dad and probably his grandparents as well, like, talked to him. And so... I feel like this movie did a really good job on that. What do you think? Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> it took us how long to get through that? Uh, so long. Mr. Pop his neck, oh tap the table. <sighs> I mean, what else do you want me to add? I think it was, like you said, it was very accurate and very close to home. I don't know. I don't, what, what was your home like? Hunter. It was pretty standard. I mean, it wasn't like this, but you know, we go to my grandparents, great grandparents' house. Yeah, they're from Kentucky and Ohio area mm-hmm. farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, great great grandfather had like seven kids, I think, something like that. Goodness. So, you know, the farther back you get, the closer I would say it gets to this movie. So I, I was definitely around it at some point in my life, but it wasn't a central. Mm-hmm. part of my Upbringing. development yeah, yeah. but I, I definitely do relate and can easily pick out things that were very accurate to that kind of lifestyle mm-hmm. i feel like i feel like this movie was a very good exploration on the like nature versus nurture argument mm-hmm. because i feel like it's easier to nurture and raise somebody whenever you have an example of what not to be And I feel like that is a main reason why JD was so able to work himself out of 
like the familial stump he was in, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. With his mom, like very dependent on drug use, and not able to keep a job. I mean, I'm sure I several people I could think of that like if they were under that same position would just not be able to rise above it. Yeah. I think it's really hard to have self-motivation for success when all you know is success or all you see around you is success. And I definitely agree with that. You know, if you see failure around you, you know, you have an example of what not to do, of what you don't want to become. And so you push yourself harder. And I think that's the real difference because you can nurture someone all day long, tell them what they should be doing and trying to set them down the right path. But if they don't want to do that, then it's not going to happen. And you have to think for like a good portion of this movie, after his memo starts taking care of him, you're like, okay, roughly the same parental figure at this point is taking care of both his mom whenever she was in school and him now. What is the difference that is going to make him go to Yale and not end up where his mom is? And I feel like the main reason was that he had something to look to to overcome. And with his memo, maybe learning from her mistakes because she didn't want him to stop trying. Like that that big speech she had after he threw the graphing calculator out of the window Mm -hmm. was all about you got to not stop trying. And he realized like how much she was giving up to keep him away from his mom so he had a chance. I think that was the catalyst for him trying. I mean, they obviously tried to show it in the movie, but really, sincerely, that is what really gave him that motivation. He had that example of his mother, but that didn't push him enough. It was when he realized how much other people were giving up to make him successful or even have a chance of being successful. And I think... The example of his mother with the raising from his grandmother gave him the emotional maturity to realize that he should pick up the slack around the house and get a job and do better in school because he saw that my grandmother's trying to make me someone other than my mother and she is giving up so much because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And... How she reacted whenever he was like, guess who got the best grade on the algebra exam? He's like, it was me. And she went, well, keep it up. up. (laughs) But, and then she leaves and sits down in the chair. And you can tell just how happy she is that she finally got through to him. Because she always saw the potential in him. And that... I feel, is the main reason why she tried so hard. Because mm-hmm. she knew that she had it in him. Yeah. And it makes me very happy that he had that nurturing, but yet still very forceful voice in his life that pushed him to eventually become what he did, what he was. Yeah. Ugh. It's so poetic. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Hunter, me and you have both watched the movie version of A Glass Castle. The Glass Castle? A Glass Castle? I'm so bad with articles before these movies' titles. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I've seen the movie. The Glass Castle. Yes. It took me a second to remember. Two, I don't want to say similar stories, but they kind of are. Mm-hmm. This one having, they both have to do with like drug use, because Jeanette Walls' father was a raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And then JD's mom smoked weed, heroin, just you name it. She probably did it. Um, I feel like, not that I could never relate to Jeanette Walls's book or anything. I feel like this movie did a better job of um, conveying just... It's been a while since I've watched the movie. But I feel like this movie did a better job of speaking to me, probably because of my upbringing and everything. Mm-hmm. But I never, I never really lived a hectic childhood. Like, we stayed in Kentucky <laughs> forever. Yeah. We've never lived anywhere else. I was born in Nashville. You were born in Nashville? Dummy. I was talking about me. <laughs> Don't call me a dummy for stating facts. <laughs> but... We, meaning my family, <laughs> never moved around. We stayed in Kentucky my whole life. We moved once. And then we moved into a double wide while we built our own house. And then we, oh, we've lived in that house for so long. But it doesn't feel like it. We've lived in that house for so long. God, we built it in 2006. 15 years. Wow. Oh, my God. When did you move from Nashville? Uh, we moved when I was around four. Then we lived with my grandmother for a while in Lexington for about a year. And then we moved into our house and around the same time in 2006. Wow. Because it was finished in 2005 and we got it in that summer. Twinsies. <clears throat> Oh, look at us. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, like at the time, I had nothing to compare it to because we read it in high school. This book, when was I in high school? I guess it was out, but I never read it. Um, this book or the this book, Glass Castle? Okay. I, I did read most of The Glass Castle. <laughs> Not all of it. Sorry, Miss Simmons. Um, <laughs> I read it. In junior year, English. It was a really good book. It was really good. I'm just very bad at whenever people tell me I have to read something about reading it. Really? See, that's when I enjoy a book the most. Really? Whenever you have to read it? Yeah, because I have a really bad time of picking out books that I think I would like. And Mm -hmm. so when I'm given a book and just told to read it and think about it critically, I tend to like it more. Also, I'm pretty sure we got to read glass castle right after the jungle so uh, i thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs> uh compared to the jungle yes that i read a chapter of you read a chapter of upton sinclair's masterpiece novel that led to usda regulations on the meat industry yes and i actually want to go back and read that book i just don't own it wow but it was very hard for me at the time to read it Are even sure? though i used it in my uh, U.S. History AP exam for one of my essays. I'm sure we all did. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I got a four on that exam. Sophomore year. I was very proud of myself. I'm not going to talk about the test because uh, you're not supposed to, apparently, but it was that picture of Roosevelt and he was raking mud. Muckrakers. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh, God. 
They hated those muckrakers. <laughs> Ugh, if you've never taken APUS history, do it. Or just watch the... Uh, <laughs> do it. It doesn't matter how old you are. No, you need to learn your history. Um, Or just watch Crash Course... Crash Course... Crash Course. Crash Course. Uh, with John Green. It's John Green, not Hank Green. Hank Green does the science videos. And he's and also a TikToker. <laughs> I enjoy his TikToks. I love it whenever people randomly tag him in, in TikToks that have... They have their own podcast. Oh, yeah. I know. I listened to it for a while. Dear Hank and John. Mm-hmm. Dear John and Hank. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I am a, I'm a nerd fighter, maybe. I'd like to say I am. I like how much of this podcast we've actually talked about the movie. You know, <laughs> you know, uh... If you could change anything about the movie, having not read the memoir. <laughs> I want to read it. It was a good movie. I do want to read it, too. This book, whenever it came out, it was like 2016. The election was going on between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And whenever it came out, this was like the world's window into like the Trump voter's mind. How it's been like described. And... Partially, yes. I feel like that's very true. But I wouldn't want to make this, like, the stereotype that all Trump voters fall under this category. People have very different living ex living experiences that lead them to lean either way. Sure. But I, I do feel like it's not a bad way to be looking at... Maybe the other side of the aisle for some people. Mm -hmm. I I can't think of any, I can't think of any books that would serve as like a window into the Hillary Clinton voter mind or the Joe Bi Joe Biden voter mind. I really can't. Do you think it's like so prevalent in today's like media to where like something like this isn't as easily found? I don't know. I don't really. Think about that when reading books, because I th I think it's interesting that you brought that up, but it's not really something I tend to think about when I'm reading a book. I just remember that that is how I got introduced to this movie because they were talking about how it was like like a way for people on the other side of the aisle to maybe gain some understanding of where people are coming from whenever they vote for Donald Trump or. I mean, you could probably fill in any said Republican candidate yeah. and be like, ah, okay, that makes sense. And so it really makes you wonder, like, whenever somebody reads this, what do they take out of it that says, ah, that is the difference between, like, what I believe and their upbringing to make them believe in something else. It's really, it's really weird how books and movies can just make you feel in many different ways like any other like news story like you just get the facts but whenever you sit down and you get a glorified picture of like what happened it's a lot easier to understand and feel and be compassionate towards people that you would say that you don't have anything in common with at all I don't know, I guess that's what I'm kind of getting at. It's almost as if movies and books are, dare I say, art. Today's show is brought to you by the letter A. Art. Art. 
the word that we're probably going to say in every single podcast. Hunter has yet to make his, uh, Sing Sing Street! God! How that hurt my ears. (laughs) (laughs) I have yet to bring up. Um, Speaking of accents, Jack Renner was the only person without a nat. No, I'm kidding. He actually does have a natural Irish accent. Oh my gosh. Not Midsummer. He was the only non Irishman in Sing Street. Wait, is he in Sing Street as well? Yeah. Was he He was in Midsummer too. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Full circle. Wow. Is James Corden in Sing Street? No. Good. Good! What do you mean? <laughs> I have to... Sing Street's a good movie. <laughs> and so is this. Hillbilly Elegy did not feature James Corden. Thank God. Who would James Corden play in this movie? Memo. <laughs> you go out there and you get that calculator. Or you're going to be walking home. <laughs> That was my James Corden impression. Everybody, uh... And now we know why Logan dropped the theater department. So you gave this a six and a half? No, I gave it a six. Oh, a six. I gave it a seven, eight. eight. A seven, eight. Seven, eight. Five, six, seven, eight. I never took any dancing classes here. (laughs) Or scat classes. I can't scat. I am kind of tired. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm like scat all over the place. Not feces. Scatting. (laughs) Ah! Thank you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Chick-fil-A really did you well. No, it didn't. (laughs) Do you want to tell that story about how you ate half a pan of chicken meat bread? (laughs) Half a what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just heard you tell that story twice now. Yeah, it's because it was a pleasant experience. Oh, it's your pleasure to eat it So, all. for any of you who don't know, something I learned from working at Chick-fil-A is that you can actually order catering the Chick-fil-A chicken mini trays to be picked up at any time during store hours. So, one night, we had a pickup order for 6 o'clock p.m., That is well after breakfast has ended, so nobody's getting chicken minis at this time. But the tray, the number of chicken minis in the tray was just enough to have more than one pan of chicken mini bread have to be prepared, but not two whole trays of chicken mini bread. So there was all this chicken mini bread left over after we finished the tray, and it was closing team, so like five people there, so we were just... Snacking on chicken mini bread. Go and throw it away if we don't eat it. Did you get to take any home or was it all gone? By oh, the time no, it was left? all gone. I kind of want to taste what chicken mini bread tastes like by itself without being tainted. Yeah, it's better without the chicken. Really? Yeah, it's just honey glazed bread. Oh, that does sound good. That's why I always tell people if it's after breakfast and like, do you guys have chicken minis? And I'll be like, no, but you can order a sandwich and then get some honey. I'll take off the pickles. You just put the honey on the sandwich, cut it in fours, bam, you got yourself a four count. And it tastes a little bit better. That's a lot of work. No, it's not. You just order a sandwich. I have to order it without the pickles. So you don't even have to take the pickles off. Yeah, but who just has honey? Chick-fil-A. You guys offer honey? It's in the little condiment stands with the 
I gotta be honest. I don't go to Chick-fil-A that often. A, a full Chick-fil-A that often. I visit the one on campus. You got strawberry and grape jelly and honey. Maybe I need to go. Owensboro only has one. That's, one Chick-fil-A. That surprises me. Right? It surprises everybody. But there's nobody opening a second chain of it. Or a second franchise of it. For whatever reason. I don't know why. I feel like there are some reasons. Um, in my in my classes, you have to do like an assessment of like clientele and your own franchises in that area. And if they're going to be competing with each other, mm-hmm. then why open a second one? So I guess Owensboro just doesn't meet the capital requ- uh, the population requirements necessary to warrant opening a second Chick Fil A. Mm-hmm. But there's so many people that go to the Chick Fil A, and the line is always bumping. That's every Chick-fil-A. I know. Dude, the Chick-fil-A in Georgetown is right next to an intersection. A busy one, too. And so when the pandemic first started and Chick-fil-A was still open, they just used drive through We had to have a police traffic escort to direct traffic at the intersection because the line would get so backed up, it would go to the intersection. Oh, my God. In Owensboro, it's close to an intersection for the bypass. Luckily, I don't think it's ever too bad where it's going out into the road. But who knows? With the lunch rushes, it's a busy road. Ugh, it's a very busy road. Hillbillyology. What? (laughs) We're allowed to talk about stuff other than the movie. I know. It's just like we've talked about it for like maybe 10 minutes. Well, you know, whenever it's a movie about a memoir, I didn't like the cinematography too much. Really? There, at some moments, it just feel, felt really jumpy. Like, um, at the moment whenever um, Kid JD finds Memo on the floor, I didn't like the cuts. It felt like they were a little too quick. Like, even though it's a high-action scene, mm-hmm. the cuts just felt a little abrupt for my liking. I think it may be... Because I know Ron Howard's pretty careful with his camera direction. Yeah. And so I think maybe it's not because it's high action. Maybe it's supposed to make you on edge just a little bit uh, and confuse you just a little bit because he does a really good job of letting the character tell the, um, letting the camera tell the emotions of the character. Hunter. Logan. Who's the bad person in this movie? Corporate American. I don't know. Um, Like if, if we were to, (laughs) whatever, if we, if we were to take this movie and like imagine it's not a memoir just it's a it's a movie about what it's about everything stays the same in the movie who is the quote unquote bad guy if there is one can i go with the radical belief that nobody is truly bad they're just misguided no one mourns the wicked <laughs> yeah I definitely believe that that's, like, the right path to take, especially for this movie. Especially for this movie, because, you know, as we have both said, we relate at least somewhat closely to this movie. I've grown up in an area knowing people in this situation deep enough to know that you don't have to be a bad person to be completely misguided down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Like we were saying earlier, JD, if he had lived with his mom... Or if his memo... Like, let him hang out with the friends that he had. Yeah. Instead of kicking him to the coib. Then... <laughs> Sorry. Anytime I say curve, I have to say it like they do in Newsies. Um, kicking him to the coib, then 
I mean, the bad influence would still be there, and it'd be even harder for JD to buck up mm-hmm. and assume the position that his Memon knew that he could. Because those little voices, yeah. those little voices, I feel like I'm very thankful for all of the good friends that I had in high school. But I'm even more thankful that while I was in middle school, that I just had no friends. Like, in <laughs> in retrospect, I'm thankful. Because looking at where they are now, they're just not who I want to be. Mm. And so it helped me going to a small Catholic school where my graduating class in eighth grade was four people, including me, <laughs> that, I don't know, I just didn't really fit in with any of the other boys. <laughs> Go figure. But I'm really thankful that I was bullied a little bit. I know that sounds really bad, and I definitely didn't like it at the time. Yeah, I understand. But if I were friends with them, then Lord knows where I'd be today. Mm -hmm. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of... And again, I haven't read the book, so I don't know how closely tied it is to the actual writing. Mm -hmm. Because... It was, the main character was the author of his own memoir. There's obviously that's, that's how memoirs are. strong emotional ties to his mother. But I think in the movie, they did a really good job of showing some really bad moments in her life. And moments where she was not a great person and not a great mother, but you still empathize for her because, you know, it's addiction is so hard oh, yeah. to be on the inside of. And looking out, looking on from the, the outside. On, on the outside looking in, it's so easy to just say, just stop. Yeah. Just stop. But JD goes back into the motel maybe 15 minutes after he left, and she's already in the bathroom uh, about to get high off of heroin again. It's so real for just how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Like, she sees the hurt. Yeah. And she feels bad. You know she does. But it's so hard to put mind over matter whenever the matter affects your mind. And so that doesn't necessarily make someone a bad person, even if they're doing things to hurt other people. Mm -hmm. Not to hurt other people, but that hurt other people and that hurt themselves. She was just misguided her whole life. And it can be extremely hard when you're on the inside of that Mm -hmm. to realize there is an outside of that. Mm -hmm. And... Even the memo knew that she wasn't, like, all good. Like, she, in her little speech about, like, Terminators, she was like, there's good Terminators, bad Terminators, and then neutral Terminators. And I think she said, you and I are the good Terminators. Obviously, nobody wants to say they're a bad guy. But the memo knew that she made mistakes, because later on in the movie, whenever JD yells, you're a mother and you are too, then she walks out and she's like, yeah, I wasn't always the best, but now it's time to pull through for your family and maybe this will be the last time that your mother screws stuff up. And wow, I love my family so much. I'm so happy that I have to imagine that, like, what if my mom was like that? Mm -hmm. Like, what would I do? I'm so thankful for that. That is one of the main reasons I got emotional whenever I watched this movie, just because yeah. I know 
how lucky I am to yeah. have the family that I have. It's especially hard when watching this movie and even talking about it, how delicate you have to be because this is a real story. This is somebody's life. This is not the emotions somebody poured out, slaved over the amount of years of emotional trauma and obstacles that they went through to be able to write this and say, this is my story. This is true. This is, this is how some people are. Yeah. It's definitely eye opening to know that some people have to go through this, even in the state that we live in, like, especially in the state that we live in. True. Heroin, heroin usage is very prevalent in Kentucky. It just makes you think like, if I were born from somebody else, mm-hmm. how different would my life be? And so, nature versus nurture, again, full circle. Like, how different would you be in somebody else's life circumstances? Where would you end up if you were JD in this situation? Mm-hmm. Would you buck up whenever your memo is, like, scraping by with food, giving stuff from her plate to yours, or do you just continue? Mm-hmm. It's deep stuff. I've seen both ends of that. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to watch, you know, good friends not go the same path as JD and not be in good positions and make really bad choices and in a few cases get punished for them. And it's really hard to see, you know, friends that I love not being in civilization for 10, 20 years because they didn't have the same self-motivation and and in some cases they didn't have the same nurturing as JD. And so it really does make you think, you know, if you haven't experienced that, if you do have to imagine something like that, just how lucky you are and thankful. And something my mom has always said when we'd be sitting in the living room after dinner, she would say, we're warm, we're fed, we're happy and we're together. And you really can't ask for much more. I feel like, stereotypically, the South is known for, like, hospitality and just that together feeling. And that movie, the scene where they're driving his pepaw through the town, and the town just comes to a standstill. That's a real thing. It's it's powerful, too. Like, when, when... If you ever see that ever actually happen, it's kind of like a wave of emotion just hits you, whether you're part of the funeral or not. And I just love how Maman said, here, we respect our dead. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful of having grown up where I am. Granted, it comes with its challenges, but what place doesn't? You know, you gotta just got to roll with the punches. Yeah. And maybe you'll want to up and leave. I know you're planning on going to California whenever you're done with college, but you're never going to take the Kentucky out of Hunter Brooks. <laughs> and no, you can't do that. No. <laughs> it's very ingrained. And it's definitely a big part of who I am. Just the lessons that my dad taught me, just the things that we do, whether it's like second nature or mm-hmm. just like things in the front of our mind, like, I remember, <laughs> I know, like, anytime I'm driving and an ambulance is going, I see it or I have to, like, go to the side of the road for it. Like, I was raised Catholic, and so 
anytime that that happens, I do the sign of the mm-hmm. cross and I just hope that everybody stays safe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something I'm always going to do. Um, not because I really am necessarily saying a prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little part of me is, but a big part of it is me really hoping that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Like she said, we care for those around us. Yeah. I've never been to a big city. Did you go to New York? Yeah. Uh, how different was it there? Very. Uh, I went twice in high school. One for a band trip and one for a choir trip. So it was pretty supervised. We didn't go around a whole lot. But yeah. I remember people aren't mean. Like that's a pretty stereotypical thing for New York is that people are rude or selfish. They're not, for the m- majority, people weren't really rude, I would say. There are some people who are obviously in a hurry, and it's just part of the culture that when the light turns green, the car behind you is going to honk. That's not out of malicious intent. That's just people are raised that way. You know, their parents did it. Everyone around them is doing it. Light turns green. You honk your horn. You got to go. Everyone's got somewhere to be. But for the most part, the people I talked to from there were really nice, and they were they were human beings. Um, and we even talked to some people... Uh, some of them asked us if they were, we were on a trip and we said we were from Kentucky and they were like, oh, I can't even hear an accent. So it's like, yeah, not everyone has an accent, but from like a southern, deep southern accent. But it was interesting to hear people from New York who don't have a stereotypical New York accent telling people from Kentucky, oh, you don't have a stereotypical Kentucky accent. <laughs> and it's just, it's something that's pretty, neat because everywhere has their own culture even in a single country but they're very similar in basic ways it's always easy to fall into believing stereotypes about other places Mm -hmm. my dad (laughs) whenever my dad went my (laughs) for reference hi dad i know you're i know you're listening watching i know you're watching um for for context, my dad does have a pretty thick Kentucky accent, for the most part. He says things like George Washington, stuff like that. And um, whenever he, he took business a business trip to New York once, and the business execs that, or not the business execs, but people that he was up there to see, uh, whenever they heard him say y'all, I mean, he said, like, they automatically deducted, like, 10 IQ points whenever they heard that. And he got really hurt by that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, obviously, my dad's not one to really, truly, like, outwardly show emotion. But whenever he tells that story, he does, like, say, like, he got upset. Because, obviously, speaking with a southern draw doesn't automatically mean anything. Um, And I feel like... (laughs) Apart from the scene where he's, like, pronouncing syrup, J.D. really didn't have one either. Like, he did a pretty good job at fitting in whenever he was mm-hmm. at the dinner table with the, um... What even were they? Were they, like, uh, Yale administrators? I think they were attorneys. Attorneys, um, okay. Or people running law firms. Because um, he was trying to get an internship. That's right, that's right. He wasn't trying to get into Yale. He was already in Yale. That's right. He's trying to stay in Yale. <laughs> But he did a very good job at, like, just 
fitting in until he started talking about his family. And after that, they were like, yeah. ah, how's it like being a redneck? Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. You could see him nervous to talk about his family because it, there is that connotation that you're from the South. Oh, okay, well, let's talk a little bit slower. Let's use simpler words. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just frustrating, I guess. Like, I've grown up around people. They're really, really smart people. And they do happen to have a Southern draw, just because that's how they were raised. But like he said, like, my mom was, like, salutatorian in her class. She was really smart. And um, they still were, like, you know, whatever. Mm. It doesn't mean anything. Because what did she do? She became a nurse. Whoop-de-doo. And so it's very hard to, like, I guess level with people that you don't necessarily understand. Because you've just never been around them. And so it's easy to f- just fall into believing those stereotypes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hunter. <laughs> it's just easy to fall into believing those stereotypes. And I guess this movie does a really good job at, like, showing. Whether you're from the South, it doesn't matter. It's the content of the character, not the tone of their voice. <laughs> to spin a phrase on Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream, I guess. I feel like I've been talking a lot. That's fine. <laughs> Man, a few words. But every word has so much meaning. <laughs> I mean, I think I try to live by that. <laughs> no, really. I think I think your words should be more powerful than your silence. So if it can't be, then why waste the silence, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think I do kind of try and live by that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Hunter? Yes? Your final score is a 6, and mine is an 8. That brings it to... Golly, mental math. 14. 14. See? I don't have a southern draw, and I'm still dumb. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, We made so much progress in the past hour. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was a joke, obviously. I'm still dumb, but I do have a southern draw sometimes. (laughs) Hunter. Logan. Riddle me this. What is the movie for next week? Rain Man. Rain Man? Yep. I have no idea what it's about. Nice. I'm going to go into it blindly. I won't look up a synopsis, synopsis or anything. Get ready. Oh, boy. I have no idea what to expect. Because <laughs> I know I've heard it somewhere. All right. I look forward to watching it this week. Hopefully, before Thursday. We'll Maybe. see. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Rain Man is currently, at the time of this recording, on Hulu. Hulu exclusively? I don't know. It's on Hulu. It's probably also for rent on Amazon Prime. But, uh, that was a good talk. Even though I did a lot of the talking. Ah. I tend to monopolize time. Well, I like to listen. Aw, I appreciate that. But, next week, Rain Man. That is the movie for next week. Watch it on Hulu. Starring Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Ooh. All right. Well... Please watch the movie before next week, or wait to listen to next week's episode until you've watched it, because we don't like spoilers around here, but it's inevitable. (laughs) But, I've been Logan. Yes, you have. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Private Screening Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, 
what is our Instagram handle? Priv's Green Pod. Priv's Green Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to, email us. Talk about movies. Uh, yeah, obviously. (laughs) 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 But email us any thoughts that you have about the movie that we just talked about. And you know what? Send us movie suggestions. I was about to say that. We'd love to hear it. Hunter, what else should they do? Ask us how our day is going. Ask us how our day is going. We'll ask you the same. And we hope, we hope the answer is that your day is going well. But also, make sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred podcast directory. So you always get notified. You'll always get notified. Notification sound. Wow. Uh, We didn't even have to edit that. Wow. Wow. So you get notified whenever a new episode comes out. I'll see you next week. He'll hear you. You'll hear us. You'll you'll hear both of us. Not not exclusively me, even though I talked a lot. But he won't see you. No, sadly not. It's just I won't a get microphone. To, I won't get to see your beautiful faces of everyone. All right. I'll see you next week.